Welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Paramedics, EMTs, first responders, these brave men and women, these heroes, they're everywhere, helping people, saving lives, and so much more. Throughout one's career doing something like this, I'm sure they deal with countless calls, some of which definitely stick out more than others. I have a treat for you guys this week. My guest has been doing this for well over 18 years and will be sharing some phenomenal encounters that he has had. Take it away, Steve Kawamura. My name is Steve Kawamura and I live in Ontario, Canada. I've lived here my entire life and I've been a paramedic now for 18 years. Incredible. Well, first of all, Steve, thank you for your service. It's people like you just helping people and making the community a better and safer place. So, first of all, thank you for that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no worries. I, I do it with pleasure, and like I said, I've been doing it 18 years. Still don't mind going to work every day. That is awesome, and that's rare. After 18 years, a lot of people get burnt out, but doing what you do is something really different and unique and special. So, I know you're a advanced care paramedic is what they call that in Canada. So you go on countless calls, I'm sure, but one proved to be way out of the ordinary, quite bizarre. You shared this encounter on the TV show Paranormal 911, and I am so excited for you to actually share it on Paranormal Prowlers podcast with us today. So Tell us a little about that day, Steve, the call, the experience, just everything. Yeah, they changed a few things in Paranormal 911, which I didn't have a problem with, just the story and copyright kind of stuff and patient privacy. Yeah. But the day was, uh, I think it was either a Friday or Saturday night because I knew it was just after the bar calls. Usually they settle down around 3, 3.30. You know, you get the fights, you get the, you know, the bottles over the head, whatnot, and then there's a lull. So we get this call for an intruder, increased confusion, and, uh, you know, when you're an ambulance guy or paramedic and you get a call like that, we always wait for the police because, you know, we're not equipped to deal with that kind of stuff, and, you know, we don't we don't have the authority either. Yeah. But when we rolled up on scene, we saw firefighters speeding. So, you know, they get dispatched quite a bit to different uh, things up here in Canada, and they said, hey, guys, geez, this, this one's crazy. Like, uh, the police have been here many, many times, and, you know, there's never anybody here, but you guys can go in and check her out. We're out of here. So we went in, and it was actually a very prominent person who lived here in the city of Hamilton. Now, without mentioning any names and being careful, it was the wife, and she was a widow now. Her husband had built one of the prominent stadiums here. Oh, interesting. Yeah, in the city. It is now called Tim Hortons Field, but if people want to look up what it was before, this was that person's wife. And she'd be, she'd be dead by now because this encounter was in uh, 2007. I'm writing a book right now, and I kept notes on everything that I did so that when eventually I had enough material to write a book, I could recall how long it had been or had these encounters. And this was definitely the summer of 2007. Okay. Wow. Yeah, when we're done talking about this encounter, I'd love to hear a little about the book. I will definitely be putting that book on my list of books to get. <laughs> well, if I ever get it finished, it, like I said, it's my first one. And it, it's funny, when the, the show asked for this, I actually just 
copied my excerpt from that chapter called the paranormal and i just gave it to them it was like just i they're just calls that i've been on yeah so Oh, that's great. And I'll tell you, you know, as an author myself and releasing my publishing my first book last year, and I self-published, mind you, it really was kind of discouraging because just there was so much going on. But then once it happened, it was so refreshing. So don't get discouraged, Steve. You'll definitely get there. No, absolutely. So you get to this woman's house and apparently the police are not coming. Firefighters just left the scene. What happens next? Well, you know, we, we go in and we assess the patient. We, you know, we treat her like she's a patient wanting to go to the hospital with maybe some type of medical condition. Right. And we realize that she had some dementia. Mm. And, you know, like we ask her a couple of questions and she may not answer them directly. But she kept on saying, there's a man in the house. Oh. There's a man in the house, and she, you know, she pointed to the couch, and she was like, "The man's right there." You know, when there's not a man on the couch there, you know, you're thinking, "Okay, maybe this woman has dementia," you know, yeah, or maybe she's just lonely. But then, and this is what they couldn't put in the uh, the paranormal, and I, like I said, I just have to be careful the way I speak about it. She points to this room, and it was dedicated to the building of the stadium. Oh. And, yeah, yeah, she was very proud of it. And when she spoke about this part of her life, it was a different woman. She didn't skip a beat. Oh, wow. She didn't stutter. She didn't get confused. Because my my, uh, my partner that I was working with, and he, he, he said I could say his name, Jeff, he, him and I uh, grew up in this city, and, you know, we were very interested in it and very entertained by it. Oh, okay, so she sort of this room with all these pictures and the ribbon cutting ceremony and everything. But then, you know, we kind of had to so-called get down to business and see, okay, what's wrong with this lady? Yeah. Why is she so afraid? So eventually she asks us to search the house. So we decided to start in the basement. And my partner says, he's like, Stevie, he's like, Stevie, the back of my, sorry, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. I don't feel this, right? Now me, I'm not a skeptic, and I never was before this, but you got to kind of, just like if I'm showing my age here, Jerry Maguire, you got to show me the money, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm not going to get, I, if I get a bad feeling or bad intuition, I'm not going to, that's not going to stop me from doing something. Something strange has to happen before I, I, I will make belief or I will stop doing what I'm doing. So we go downstairs in the basement, and there was a whole bunch of dust on everything, and even this didn't freak me out. There was something strange in, in the basement. There was cinder blocks missing from a wall, I would say 10 or 12 of them, enough for maybe one person to go through. Ooh. And I thought that was strange. Yeah. It creeped my partner out. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go look in there. Right. So I went, into, I went to look in that hole. I didn't get any intuition or any bad feeling. When I went to look in that hole, there was only a piano and a dresser in there. Really? And it was a separate, yeah, it was a separate room. Like, it was separate cinder blocks in the basement. Like, cinder blocks removed from the wall. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, because I wanted to get the basement out of the way, and so did my partner. He's like, let's get the basement out of the way first. Yeah. So when we moved to the second floor, right, which was basically the kitchen and the living room and a bathroom, every 10 to 12 feet, 
was a weapon of some sort. It was something you could just quickly grab and whack somebody with. Um, for instance, like on a, on a dresser, there would be a butter knife. At the end of the couch, on, on the armrest, there would be a stapler. Here's sewing scissors, if you know what those look like. They're pretty scary looking. They're, yeah. they're huge and they're very, very sharp. Um, a cane against the wall. An umbrella maybe 10 feet down, right? So everywhere in the house, there were these things that I call them melee weapons, right? It's something you could just grab and use to defend yourself. So we asked the lady, like, what are these for? And she goes, those are for the man. Oh, that's creepy. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, and even still, me, I'm like, we meet so many crazy people. I bet. <laughs> like, and, and sometimes they're whacked out on drugs, mm. and Jesus is with us, or one of us is a demon, and it ends up in a brawl. We end up sedating them, right? But So, you know, like, in my head, and as a paramedic, right, or any first responder, we're, we're taught to think logically, you know? We're, we always revert back to our training. So, oh, okay, we're going to think about the DSM. We're going to think about bipolar. We're going to think about depression. We're going to think about dementia. And then the branches of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, you know, all these different types of mental disorders that there are before we're going to think about the paranormal. Right. So we go upstairs, and, and this, this is one, one, one detail that was a little different from the paranormal uh, 911 show. I walk by one of the rooms, and it's empty. Hmm. So in my logical mind, I'm like, that's the last place I have to check for something. Because there's really nowhere to hide there. Yeah. So my partner and I check the bedrooms and the closets and everything. And even those rooms still had those kind of like, okay, the, the melee weapons sort of laid out, you know, every 10, 12 feet for somebody to pick up. So I said, okay, um, and then the woman started to get a little anxious, so I sent my partner downstairs to kind of stay with her and get a ref what we call a refusal of service form. Because if you're not going to come to a hospital with us, right, we'd like you to sign our form saying that, hey, we came and checked you out, and you, you do not want to come to the hospital with us. Yeah. You know, we kind of document all that. Absolutely. So I said, okay, I'm going to check this last room. And like I said, it was the only room in the house that was empty. So when I went in, the temperature dropped probably 15 degrees, and I could see my breath. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I shouldn't be able to see my breath here. And only now am I starting to get a little creeped out. Because I'm like, okay, this is something I cannot explain. There's, there's no way that this could happen in a house, right? Um, this is back in 2007, and you know, I, if they were just coming out with dual climate zones and cars back then, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or maybe even maybe they even came out with that earlier, but there was only cars. They don't have like dual climate zones in houses usually, and and the door was open, so there shouldn't have been a draft. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm like, okay, it's really weird. And because the room was empty, there was nothing for me to check under or anything except for the closet. So the closet was a walk-in closet. It was very narrow. It's one of those closets that expand the uh, uh, distance of the room with two doors, two sliding doors. Do you know what I mean? Oh, wow, like there a walk-in closet, like really nice and spacious. Yeah, kind of a walk-in closet. It was enough to walk in, but you could put both of the uh, shutters to one side and have one side open. Okay. Both the shutters to the other side and have the other side open. Yeah. 
so the, the both the shutters were on the one side and I entered the closet and of course I always have my flashlight with me and at the end of that closet was a trap door that's the only way I can explain it it wasn't in the ceiling it was about waist height and it was a trap door and I'm like I'm gonna open that yeah and I got excited I got excited I'm like this is gee, this is fucked up right <laughs> I'm like I gotta open that yeah and as soon as I had that intention of opening it I got that dark, evil feeling of, do not approach this door. Really? It was like an emotion. It's the only way I can explain it. And it's like, no, 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 do not come near this door. You know, and like me being, like I said, logical. And like I said, at this point, I was not skeptic. Yeah. I believed in the stuff, but I had never had anything happen like this before. So I wanted to push the buttons. Right. <laughs> so, so I started to walk forward. And this wind gently starts to blow inside this closet at me. And that feeling got more intense of, do not come towards this floor. And I, I, and I was like, you know, me, I, you know, where I come from, I always meet my challenges. You know, I always take things head on. And I was like, the hell with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run at this door and I'm going to And I, I had full intentions of reaching out with my hand and opening that door to see what it was looking like. But that's when that feeling got so intense and that wind started blowing so hard, I physically couldn't keep my eyes open and I physically couldn't push forward. Wow. And that terrified me. Like, terrified me to the point where I ran out through the hall and I was like, I, I had to compose myself. I was like, oh my gosh, like, that just happened? And I did not want to go back in that room. I didn't even want to go back. I wanted to get out of the house like that. Incredible. Wow. Yeah, that is just so mind-blowing to me, and your partner was downstairs still at the time, right, with the lady? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that, like you said, I mean, you're going through all these different things. I mean, first of all, 15-degree difference, that's huge. You know, it's not just like a, oh. And that's Celsius. Oh, wow. That's Celsius, so that would be about I, roughly with my head, right? That'd be like 20 to 20, 25 degrees Fahrenheit. That is wild. Yeah. I Being a paranormal investigator for over a decade, I've, I've had that where all of a sudden I get these cold spots or all of a sudden it's a lot hotter. But 20 to 25, that's a lot. That's absolutely insane. And like you said, just that closet and that wind and breeze to the point where you couldn't even keep your eyes open. That's, that's incredible. So when you, you know, checking this house and this final room, what went through your mind? Like, okay, this is, is this really happening right now? I'm sure all your senses were heightened. (laughs) Yeah. That went went through my mind. Yes. Is this really happening? But like my curiosity got the better of me, and I really wanted to open that door. Right. I, I want to see what's behind it. Now, I didn't realize this until later, until much later. But that crawl space, or wherever it was, was directly above that shrine that that woman had kept of her husband's accomplishment of the stadium. No way! Wow. Yeah. That is so crazy. So makes you kind of wonder, like, was it this woman's husband? Like, what's going on? And, well, I guess not, because why would she need to have all of those weapons? And it makes you wonder, had she ever had to use the weapons? 
You know, it's funny. I've uh, I've been watching. If you don't mind me asking, Tessa, how old are you? I am thirty-five. Okay, cool. Because when I talk about Robert Stack and Unsolved Mysteries, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. <laughs> That's where I started watching paranormal stuff, and it's funny. I I wouldn't even carry a weapon into into a battle like that. I would either carry white sage or a prayer book or positive intentions. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. training to be good at them. 
So when I did this woman's electrocardiogram, I saw that she was having a significant, what we call, acute coronary syndrome. And her heart was starved of oxygen. We call it cardiac ischemia. Huh. And for, it's a precursor to a heart attack. Oh, wow. So, you know, if you're not watching that monitor every minute, and I, I mean every minute, there could, in two seconds, it could change, and she could go have a massive heart attack having a massive heart attack and then kind of go into what we call lethal arrhythmia. So I didn't have time to concentrate on what was going on, but the TV kept on turning on and she kept on telling me to turn it off. So this happened about three times. And the last time, right, or the fourth time, I can't remember, right, because, you know, when somebody's really sick, you know, you, you, I, I had to, my, my mind races. I'm like, okay, okay, she's really sick, so what kind of drugs do I have to give her out of my bag? Yeah. How am I going to get out of here? What am I going to say to the hospital? I usually have to set up a hospital patch, right? Um, yeah. You know, what do I want to contain in that? All that kind of stuff's going through my head. But she, the, this TV kept on turning off, and she wasn't getting angry about it. That was the other thing. She's like, could you, could you please turn my TV on? <laughs> it was the tone of her voice. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. Could, could you please turn your TV on? Oh, um, the TV's on again, sir. Could you could you just turn it off? Make sure it's off before you go. <laughs> and the last time, I was staring at the TV, and then I saw my partner and a firefighter take take the. And I was the only one in the room. I made sure of this this time. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be the only person in the room right now. Right. And I I had the remote in my hand, and I looked at the TV screen, and I took my eyes off. I am not kidding for less than a tenth of a second, and I turned back, and it was on. <laughs> Wow. And the other thing was, and I talk about this in my book, um, Hamilton is a very uh, diverse culture here. We have urban core that is uh, borderline poverty-stricken. Mm. And I mean, like, almost, um, they say that it's almost third world, uh, one of the reports with, that was uh, written on it in, in 2015. Wow. And it, it was a, it, it, it's because of your age, no offense, you will know what a tube television is, right? Yeah. And the sound it makes, the distinctive sound it makes when it powers up or powers off, and the flickering, right, that goes into the middle of the uh, of the of the screen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It makes a sound. This didn't make that sound, and I was listening mm. for it. Interesting. Yeah. But I said that at that point I said, "Ma'am, something's <laughs> wrong with your TV." And she goes, "Um, no, that's that's David." And he likes to play tricks on people. And I was like, what do you mean, David? He goes, he's one of the three spirits that lives here. Right? And this is as we were leaving. Yeah. Jeez. Knowing what I know, I was like, I just spoke to David. I said, David, I can't even remember the patient's name, so we're going to say it's Charlene, okay? Okay. I was like, David, David, we're going to take good care of Charlene, so don't you worry. And I made sure that my intentions were very positive because... I think maybe that was David's way of saying, hey, you know what? You take care of this woman. Yeah. So, and on route, it was interesting. She said, uh, the spirits, the two spirits that live here, the three spirits that live here are, are all Aboriginal. Hmm. And Aboriginal people that come here can see the spirits. Oh, interesting. And I can see the spirits because I'm Aboriginal. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. As literally, we sirens are, are blaring in the background and we'll rush this woman to the hospital. Yeah. That's incredible. That's a neat experience. And it's neat that she kind of like embraces, okay, 
my house has some paranormal activity and I'm quite all right with that. I even have a little jokester here who likes to mess with people and like that's okay. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like harmless fun, whatever. It's could be entertaining at times, but no, that's now, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Right. Cause when it, when it's broadcast, but I, I totally zoned out and talked to her about it. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, so this couple who are Aboriginal, is this their son? Are they friendly? Do they communicate with you? You know, I was asking all these questions. Yeah. It, it just fascinated. It just fascinated me, right? And that, and like you said, the fact that she was, she was okay with these spirits here. Yeah. Well, when you were asking her these questions, Steve, did she have any knowledge or any information or history about any of that? No, no. But mm. I think, like true Aboriginal people, they're very spiritual. Very spiritual. So. They would be uh, very, very uh, open to those types of things. No, absolutely. Steve, did you want to talk real quick about your book? Sure, I'll talk, a, I'll talk a little bit about it. it. It started from a very traumatic experience I had in 2008 huh. when one of my coworkers decided to end his life. Oh, and I was there responding to the call. And I was un- unfortunately, I was unable to, to save him. And yeah. some of my therapy was to write. And I kept notes on all my calls because I'm just that type of person that, you know, it's like, okay, what can I do better? And how am I going to know if I can do better if I can't remember what I've done? Yeah. When I've made a mistake or when I've done something really good. So yeah. 18 years later, I had enough material to write to a book and about the experiences about being a paramedic and what it's like. And, you know, uh, I don't pull any punches in this in this book. You know, the, some of the chapters' names are body fluids, stabbings, shootings, motor vehicle collisions. But there's also a chapter there on the paranormal. There's also a chapter on, uh, I call Till Death Do Us Part. Mm. And it, it's about the elderly people that I've encountered that I can just see are gleaming with love for each other. And it's something that I've admired and wonderful that I've, I've been able to experience as a paramedic is to see the elderly uh, still be deeply, deeply in love with each other. Wow. So, I love and that. It's, it's people I've met. Like, there's this one guy who, in the middle of the night, he steps on a piece of glass, and he, uh, he ended up being uh, one of Britain's top intelligence officers in World War II, such that he had a citation signed by Dwight Eisenhower himself. What? Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it was sitting in his, in his room. I'm like, holy smokes. I'm like, I think I was working with that guy, Jessica. I go, Jeff, take a look at this. <laughs> is that Dwight Eisenhower? Incredible. Right? Yeah. Oh. That is so cool. Well, Steve, I tell you, you'll definitely have to let me know when this book is out because it sounds really awesome. Sounds like you... You have a lot going on in there, a lot of interesting and touching things. And sorry for the loss of your of your friend. That's it's it's oh, never that's okay. easy. It, the, the saying goes, "Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger," right? And I'm I'm not glad what happened to him. Yeah. But I'm glad I went through it because now I can help people that go through something like that. So big shout out to Steve Kawamura for sharing these bizarre experiences i hope this woman is at peace now the first woman he talked about with the husband and all the weapons and if she has passed that she is reunited with her husband 
I can't wait till his book comes out. I'll let you all know when that happens as that book is already on my list of future books to buy. <laughs> Did you enjoy this week's episode? Check out the past ones. They're equally awesome. And you could subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And you can find me basically anywhere podcasts are available. See you next week, my friends.